the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Company and other factors. The following program is sponsored Know the Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explains grace giving. See, generous giving is always the outworking of a life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because a life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is a life that has surrendered to Jesus Christ all that they are and all that they have. Because if you've first given yourself to the Lord and everything you have is His, then you'll give what is His to those He asked you to give to. Bible tells us that God loves a cheerful giver, believers who generously give back to God what they've been given. And today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explains how generosity flows from a heart that understands that God is the source of all we have and all we are. And when we've surrendered all to Jesus, we can live from an open heart that readily responds to God's spontaneous call to give. It's an important look at Grace Giving, part two of a message titled, Happy to Give. Several years ago, I heard the great Baptist preacher and my favorite preacher, Adrian Rogers, tell the story of a traveling circus. And as part of the evening show, a strong man would appear and do astonishing feats of physical strength. In fact, as the concluding part of his act, he would often crush an orange to the point that there was no juice left in it. He would crush it dry. And then at the end of his act, He would also challenge anyone in the audience to come forward and see if they could squeeze one more drop from the crushed fruit. Well, it had gone on in many, many places, and no one had ever taken up his challenge. But he gets to a particular town, and in that evening, a skinny, scrawny old man comes forward at the end of his act. And as people look at this skinny, scrawny old man, they begin to laugh, and sniggers begin to ripple across the circus crowd. But undaunted, he marches forward, he grabs that piece of fruit, he puts it in his right hand, and he proceeds to squeeze one more drop of orange juice from it. The crowd goes wild, cheering and clapping. The strong man can't believe what his eyes have just seen, flabbergasted. And as the old man's about to turn and return to his seat, the strong man asks him, before you go, who are you and what do you do? To which he replies, my name is Fred, and I'm the treasurer from the local Baptist church. (laughs) You got to hear Adrian Rogers tell that story. But joking aside, it is a sad fact, is it not? that God's people, when it comes to giving, often need to be squeezed, goaded, even manipulated into giving to God's work. And that ought not to be the case. 
Our giving ought to be free, not forced. It ought to be a matter of grace, not guilt. It ought to be something desired by us, not something demanded from us. That ought to be the case. And as we come back to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we're going to be helped to that end because here Paul encourages the grace of giving. Giving that's free, not forced. Giving that's desired by us, not demanded from us. Because here Paul extols the grace of giving. If you look at verse 1, he talks about the grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. High in their poverty, they give liberally. Their giving was the result of God's grace at work in their life. In fact, Paul encourages the Corinthians to follow the Macedonians' example. And he says in verse 6 that indeed they would complete this grace. That is, that they would complete the promise they had made to give to the collection to the poor saints in Jerusalem. He wants them to excel in this grace of giving, that they might abound in this grace. Verse 7, the motivation for their grace giving is the grace giving of God. For we know, verse 9, the grace of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. In fact, he'll say in chapter 9 and verse 8 that the grace of God can produce this good work of grace giving. Because he says the grace of God is able to abound toward you. And it's able to make all grace abound toward you in all things, having all sufficiency, that you may abound in every good work. And just as he kind of signs off in verses 14 and 15, he'll talk about the exceeding grace of God in them. So giving ought not to be a matter of guilt. It ought to be a matter of grace. It ought to be free, not forced. It ought to be something we desire to do rather than be demanded from us because God has been gracious to us. And the grace of God through Jesus Christ and the grace of God in us because of Jesus Christ produces this generous expression of giving to God's work. We saw that our giving is a reflex to God's giving. And so we started to look at this wonderful passage, and we said that we're going to move along under four headings, the motives of grace giving, the manner of grace giving, the multiplication of grace giving, and the message of grace giving. And remember, we're in a series on the grace of God. Total grace. That's how one ought to describe the Christian life. We're saved by grace. We're empowered by grace. We're supplied by grace. We're prompted by grace to give graciously. Grace will land us in heaven, and grace will continue to bless us all of eternity. And we have looked at saving grace, strengthening grace, serving grace, speaking grace, sharing grace, singing grace. And now we're looking at sacrificing grace, the ability to give sacrificially to God's work. That will be prompted by grace. Now, we saw the motives for it, God's glory, the gospel, and a love for God's people. But what about the manner of it? Having answered why we ought to give, we started to answer how we ought to give. Grace giving is costly. That's the first thing that comes out of these passages. Grace giving is costly. We saw that in verses 1 to 4. How out of a great trial of affliction, and out of an abundance of joy, and out of deep poverty, the Macedonians gave liberally and richly and generously at a cost for the collection of the saints in Jerusalem. Remember, the backdrop to this is 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, to 4, 
where Paul had encouraged them to gather a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem and Judea who were facing famine and persecution. Many had been disinherited by their families because of their faith in Christ. And so the Macedonians rise to the challenge. And in the light of that, Paul encourages the Corinthians to do the same. He wants to see this same grace at work in them. He wants to see them give generously. He wants to see them reach down deep and give liberally. Now we noticed, didn't we, this little phrase in verse 3, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency to receive the gift. And we saw that there were three levels of giving. There's giving that's beneath your ability. There's giving that's according to your ability. And there's giving that's beyond your ability. You'll see that the Macedonians fell into the second and third category. They didn't give beneath their ability. They weren't chintzy. They weren't cheap. No, they dug down deep. They gave the most when they had the least. They gave according to their ability. What they gave represented kind of what they were able to give, and there was a marked generosity with it. In fact, Paul says, not only did they give to their ability, notice verse 3, yes and beyond. They give till it hurt. Or as we quoted Adrian Rogers, don't give till it hurts, give till it feels good. And they felt good about helping the saints in Jerusalem, and they gave generously. And yet, you know what? The statistics today show that the average Protestant evangelical gives only 3% of their ability. That's pitiful. That's beneath our ability. We're not close to matching what's going on here in the early church. We're giving beneath our ability when they give according to their ability and, yes, beyond their ability. We're making contributions, but we're not making sacrifices. Reminds me of the debate between the chicken and the pig as to who served man the most. When it came to breakfast, the chicken argued, you know what, I make man happy, I give him two eggs every morning for his breakfast. The pig says, well, you might give him some eggs, but I give him a nice slice of bacon, hearty, heartwarming. And the pig then kind of takes the chicken down with this statement, what you give him is a contribution, what I give him is a sacrifice. All right? Because you can give an egg and still stay alive if you're a chicken. You can't give a piece of bacon and remain a pig. I wonder how many times could we say that about Christians? They make a contribution, but they don't make a sacrifice. Not true of the Macedonians and Paul prays. It's not true of the Corinthians. So we're caught up. Let's move on. Here's the second aspect of the manner of grace giving. Grace giving is consecrated. Don't miss this. Grace giving is consecrated. I want you to understand this, that the act of giving money to the church or finances to missions, the act of giving is always predicated by another act of giving. That's Paul's argument in verse 5. Look at chapter 8 and verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Paul's taking a step back. He's celebrating the fact that they give out of their poverty with joy liberally to the saints at Jerusalem. But he now takes a step back. You need to understand that before they give themselves to us and before they give the collection to the saints, they first give themselves to the Lord. And that's the secret of their giving. Grace giving is not only costly, it's consecrated. Grace giving is always the byproduct of a consecrated life given in full surrender to Jesus Christ. They first give themselves 
to the Lord. It would be Romans 12, 1 and 2. They presented their body as a living sacrifice. See, generous giving is always the outworking of a life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because a life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is a life that has surrendered to Jesus Christ all that they are and all that they have. All that they are and all that they have. And when you're surrendered in that manner, spontaneous sacrificial giving is easy. It's not a fight. It's not a debate. Because if you've first given yourself to the Lord and everything you have is His, then you'll give what is His to those He asked you to give to. I think when it comes to this idea of Christian stewardship, we have tended to limit it to the idea of raising money or giving money. You know, you've heard of stewardship campaigns. But you need to understand the idea of being a steward, a manager, someone that looks after something for another, that Christian stewardship takes in all of life. Old preachers have said it, and I'm going to repeat it. God owns all of our time and all of our treasure and all of our talents. We've got to dedicate that all to the Lord. How we spend our days, how we spend our money, and how we spend our energy and our gifts. And if stewardship encompasses all of life, if you're submitted to Jesus Christ, head to toe, then your pocket's included. And that's what Paul's arguing here. They first gave themselves to the Lord. See, money is merely an extension of ourselves. And if we have first given ourselves to the Lord, the giving of money as an extension of ourselves is easy. I like what James Carter says. Dedication to God is the key to Christian stewardship. This assures us that the decision for giving has already been made. If one has dedicated his life to Christ, some decisions do not have to be made anew each time when issues arise. The decision has already been made. The Christian should not have to fight the battle over whether he will cheat, gamble, be unfaithful to his spouse, lie, steal, or live without personal integrity. These decisions should have already been made when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. His point, when you make the one decision submitted to Christ, then the other decisions are easy. Submission to Christ means you'll be faithful to your wife. You'll be honest in your dealings. Your life will be marked by integrity, and you'll be generous in your giving. Because though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that we through his poverty may be made rich. If that's what he is to us, and he's in us, making us like him, that stuff comes naturally. The one decision leads to the other decisions, which are not really that hard a decision. I remember years ago reading the story of James Culvert, who was a missionary to the cannibals in the Fiji Islands. God called him to go there. The whole enterprise was fraught with danger, as you can imagine. He passed passage on a ship. There are several people with him. They just come off the coast of the Fiji Islands, and the captain tries to talk them out of it. He says, this is nuts. This is a suicide mission. You step off this boat onto that beach, you're probably going to die. And here's what James Calvert said to that captain. We died before we came here. We died before we came here. He died to self. He took up his cross. When you make that decision back in the UK, you can make the decision to step onto the beach of hostile territory because that decision helps you with that decision. We died before we came here. And when giving comes around, and you have to decide how much and in what manner, 
That's not a hard decision for someone that's first given themselves to the Lord. So let's move on. Thirdly, grace giving is complete. It's a promise made and it's a promise kept. That's one of the themes that comes out of 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. As I said, we paint in the background about a year earlier, promises had been made, prompted by Paul or perhaps Titus's visit. A collection was to be taken to relieve the emergency and stress on the poor believers in Jerusalem and Judea. And so a year earlier, they had indicated that it was their intention to indeed jump in both feet and help the saints out. And now Paul writes and says, hey, we need to complete this. We need to do what we said we would do. Let me show you his thinking here. Look at verse 6 of chapter 8. We urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Collection had been taken among the churches in Macedonia, and they gave liberally out of their poverty. Now Titus is with the Corinthians, and it's their opportunity to complete what was begun a year earlier. It's now time to give, to follow through on the good intention. You see that again? elsewhere in the passage. Look at chapter 9 and verse 2, where he talks about how a year ago they were zealous and wishing and willing to give, and now it's time for that gift to be taken and to be carefully handled and brought to Jerusalem. Look at verse 5 especially of chapter 9. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that may be ready as a matter of generosity. Look at chapter 8 and verse 10 and 11. You'll see this word complete appear once again. It appears in verse 6. And then we read in verse 11, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That is the doing of what you promised a year ago, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of it. I know you were moved. I know that you desire. I know that's your intention, but now your good intentions have to become concrete actions and complete what you promised. Look, folks, it's a very simple thought, but we don't want to miss it. When it comes to giving, we've got to follow through on our intentions. When we're moved, when we're stirred, and it's of God, and we know there's a need to be met, and we can meet that need because God has met our need abundantly, then follow through. You know what Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 5 warn us? When you make a vow to God, make sure you pay it. It's better not to vow, not to promise, and not follow through. So that's what we've got here. Actions need to speak louder than words. The collection's got to be taken, and the promise has got to be made and fulfilled. We've got to walk the talk, folks. We've got to do what we say when it comes to giving, because time will go by. Feelings will fade Resolve will collapse. Things will get in the way. And we will fail to fulfill our promises to God. Whether it's a pledge to church or a ministry or missions, good intentions achieve nothing by themselves. That's why it's been well said, God save us from people who mean well. So make sure that you follow through, that you complete what you've promised. 
don't make a half-hearted commitment. Make a whole-hearted commitment and make sure you wholly fulfill it. I like the story I came across in a book, The American Spirit, written by David McCullough, great writer. He's written several bios on great Americans. This was a compilation of essays and lectures that he gave at the Naval Academy, at the Congress, at the Senate, at the Library of Congress. Great lectures on America's history, America's beginnings, America's founding fathers. And in this particular chapter I was reading, he talks about how the presidency kind of comes of age under Theodore Roosevelt, where America kind of, in ways that it had never done before, steps onto the world stage and embraces its role among the nations. And the president is seen in some ways for the first time as a world leader. And Roosevelt kind of reinforces that. He's the driving force behind the Panama Canal. He's a larger-than-life figure. He's the one that officially calls the White House the White House. He was the first president to get on an airplane. He was the first president to go down in a submarine. One of the stories I like the most about him in this kind of promoting of the presidency and this kind of displaying of American power comes from that he decides to show America's power on the sea, and he wants to send the Navy around the world, just to kind of go from city to city and country to country, showing America's power in its naval might. He had enough money to get them halfway there, but not enough money to bring them back. But being the kind of man he was, he decided, given the fact that Congress indicated they were unwilling to give him the rest of the money, he just launched the ships anyway. He figured... If he could get them halfway around the world, the Congress would have to bring them the other half. We're not going to leave the American Navy in Constantinople. We've got to bring the boys home. And he kind of forced their hand. I'm going to get them halfway around, and you guys are going to get them the other half. And he kind of forced the hand of the Congress. Theodore Roosevelt is becoming, to me, one of the most interesting of the American presidents. But the point of my story, taking his story, is the Navy's got to come home. You can't leave them halfway around the world. We've got to complete this tour. I financed half of it, and you guys are going to finance the other half, whether you like it or not. Complete it. And that's kind of Paul's argument here. You know, we're halfway into this. You've been moved to help the saints in Jerusalem. You've made pledges and promises. Titus has come, and now it's time to complete this thing. It's now time to come full circle. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. We're learning that when we give, we're bringing things full circle back to God, who is the ultimate giver. Today's message is part of our current Total Grace series. Order the complete study on CD or listen to messages online at ktt.org. Now, today, we hope you'll bring things full circle when it comes to Know the Truth. As you freely receive these daily programs, would you give back and allow us to send this broadcast out to more people in more cities? It's only with your generosity that we can produce and distribute this Bible teaching program to listeners across the country. And today, you can make an even greater impact when you become a Truth Ambassador. Truth Ambassadors provide a recurring monthly donation to keep Know the Truth on the air and on the web 24-7. Join this team of generous friends when you visit us online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. And when you give, you'll be one of the first to receive Philip's newest book, Help, I'm Anxious. Now, life is full of stress, and many of us battle worry and anxiety, but there is help, and it's found in God's Word. 
Be set free from worry and anxiety when you know how to claim God's peace. Discover the biblical steps to freedom in the new book, Help, I'm Anxious. Ask for your copy today when you become a monthly Truth Ambassador or when you give a one-time donation of $25 or more to Know the Truth. You can donate online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. If you prefer, send your donation by mail to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Now, from all of us at Know the Truth, we're glad you joined us today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for more about giving grace, the grace that celebrates all that God has given us. That's coming up Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Attention small business owners. If you operate a retail business and are looking for great selling products with high margins, consider becoming a Nebo dealer. Nebo was founded by Christian business owners Bob and Glenn Bollinger and is the leading brand for independent retailers everywhere. Here's why. Nebo partners with retailers to maximize valuable counter space, a constant stream of new innovative lights, incredible impulse displays, and an industry-only buyback guarantee, which means Nebo will buy back your inventory in the unlikely event it doesn't sell. So if you own a retail business of any type, become a Nebo dealer and start turning profits like never before. Receive a free no-obligation sample of a great Nebo light and see for yourself. That's right. Get a free Nebo light and a Nebo catalog. To get your free flashlight and catalog, go to NeboDealer.com or call 847-312-8197. That's NeboDealer.com or call 847-312-8197. Dr. Sebastian Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.